Welcome to The Week at Work. My name's Claire O'Connor. I'm here, as always, with my co-host, David Gibney. But we're joined today for a very special episode by Jean O'Kenny, who is the Solidarity People for Profit TD for Dublin Midwest, and Vicky Phelan. Um, Vicky needs no introduction, but Vicky exposed the cervical check scandal, which resulted in her living with a, a terminal cancer diagnosis. And since then, she's been a vocal advocate and campaigner for transparency within the health service since. She also helped to establish the 221 Plus service. Um, so, Gina, I just want to go to you to start off. You know, we're going to be talking today about your bill, the Dying with Dignity Bill. Um, can you tell us the, a bit about the background of that? I was interested when I was reading up a bit around that and yourself that you actually had, you come from a, a caring background, that you spent 16 years as a carer. Do you think that's yeah, the type of bills and the type of work that you've been drawn to? Uh, yeah, I think it has, um, particularly the issues around, you know, access to methyl cannabis, access to orphan drugs, any kind of health issues I've had general interest since I've been a public representative, particularly in the dog. Obviously, you have a, a bigger platform, but uh, issues around health have always had a, a huge interest. And in relation to uh, dignity and dying, I've always had a always have a, a very kind of keen interest. And in and I tell you how it goes back. I I seen a film about twenty five years ago that probably had the most profound effect on me than any other film I've ever seen, and it was a film called Whose, Whose Life Is It Anyway? And uh, it was Richard Dreyfuss um, starred in the film, and it's about an artist that has a, he's in a terrible uh, accent, and he ends up as uh, completely paralysed from the neck down. But the story um, goes that, you know, he, he, he gets obviously very depressed about his situation and he kind of refuses treatment but it goes into the kind of the ethical and moral kind of debate about like whose life is that anyway and it's just an amazing film and it's kind of played out obviously in not only in the in his own mind in his own kind of room where he is uh with a court uh kind of a legal court as well so it's just a fascinating film and it just had a profound effect on my kind of thinking on in relation to this issue it's quite a complex uh, issue it's not kind of it's 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 not black and white but that kind of um gave me a kind of uh an interest in relation to the issue itself um and just on the bill obviously john halligan brought it forward in 2015 and when he introduced it it didn't go to the second stage as it did the other day because it was a general election and once john went into government Essentially, the bill kind of like didn't go anywhere. Uh, I had a keen interest to kind of bring the, the bill forward uh, at like the last term, but it just didn't happen. So on this term, um, I kind of managed to uh, put the bill forward. Um, and I think since kind of we had that press conference, I think there's been a sea change, um, probably in public opinion and even the media. I mean, the media, I think overall has been quite the response has been very, very good. But I think there's a sea change going on in relation to this issue, even politically. Uh, and that was kind of borne out to a certain extent last in last Thursday's debate. So uh, it's an interesting time. Uh, we'll see what happens on Wednesday. But I did say to Vicky like a while ago, I think this issue has, uh, has progressed kind of significantly. Um, regardless of what happens on Wednesday. And hopefully it does go to pre-legislative scrutiny. That is the best route for this uh, legislation. 
um, rather than an all-party Oireachtas committee and just kind of going through all the same kind of arguments again. That argument can be done through pre-legislative scrutiny. So the bill itself um, gives a person with a terminal illness that is progressive. Uh, it's I was going to say it's like it's, it's it can't be reversed by treatment and it's a progressive illness. It will give those that are in them extremely difficult situations a choice, and the choice is that you know. Again, it's not mandatory, it's a voluntary decision. Like vo voluntary assisted dying is voluntary as a person that they, you know, they make that decision. Assisted means they have to, they need assistance as in legally and uh, medically. And dying is, unfortunately, they are in a situation there, they, you know, they're in, a, they're in the situation of terminal illness that uh, will lead to their death. But they should have a choice. And the choice is that, you know, on their terms, uh, rather than the kind of the, the illness kind of taking over their life, and that's the essence of the bill, um, in kind of a nutshell. Uh, so hopefully, you know that debate will play out in the next. Um, it's being played out already, so we'll see what happens in the Wednesday. Brilliant. Um, yeah, like I even talking about it there, it is. It's such a. It is an uncomfortable and difficult thing, thing to talk about. I think over the past couple of years maybe partially because of, you know, the, the repeal referendum and that. As a country, we've matured a little bit to be able to have these conversations. I do think that conversations around choice and bodily autonomy are a little bit more easier to have because we have that experience. Well, Vicky, you know, can I ask, what, what, how did you connect with Gino on this and, and what drew you to the campaign, you know, outside the obvious? Uh, Gino actually contacted me um, through Twitter. We had been in touch before on various things um, and he had seen that I had done some articles and I had spoken publicly on Twitter about supporting Dying with Dignity and then of course my article in the Sunday Independent a couple of weeks ago where I asked, I thought it was a good time kind of opportunity to bring you know some people to t think about the debate about dying with dignity because um, you know I have seen so many people uh, obviously over the last two and a half years who have died from cancer but I've always had a huge interest a bit like Gino I think I always you know ever before I got cancer myself and uh, you know I'm in the situation I'm in where I am facing a terminal illness and you know I know my time is limited I always would have supported uh, dying um, assisted dying um, I have a friend in France after my car crash I'd read about car crash 27 years ago and a friend of mine is paraplegic, but like she's paralyzed from the neck down, you know, and her life is very, very difficult. And it's something we've spoken about quite a lot. And it's something that she would have supported as well herself when her time comes. Um, you know, she's a young woman and she doesn't want to kind of, uh, you know, die with a lot of, uh, you know, complications, which often happens with people, you know, who are paralyzed. So it's something that I've had kind of uh, a lot of time to think about, and particularly in my own situation, I suppose, um, since, you know, I was told I was terminal in January 2018, you know, over two and a half years ago. It's all that I think about a lot of the time, because, you know, unless you're in a situation like mine where you are told that your time is limited, particularly when you're young and you've got young kids, you have to think about it and you have to plan for that eventuality and prepare your children and prepare your family for it. And unfortunately, you know, with a disease like this, you can't plan for it. Do you know what I mean? Not, not the way we die in our country, you know, and unfortunately there is no control over that decision. You know, a lot of people I've seen in, in hospital and in the hospice um, dying from cancer. It's not a nice death, Claire. That's about the only way I can kind of, you know, describe it to you that um, people are, 
in a lot of pain. You know, palliative care is excellent, but there are times when palliative care cannot get on top of all uh, the pain and the complications that people have when they're dying, particularly from from cancer. Um, and, you know, I don't want my children seeing me like that. I don't want their last memories to be of me, you know, dying in pain or um, lingering for, you know, could be, you know, up to a week or two weeks because, you know, I'm not an old person. I've got, a, you know, a strong heart. And so, uh, you know, even in my last um, days or weeks, you know, it, it's not going to be a, a, a quick death, you know, whereas with an older person, the body tends to give up quicker. So, you know, it's something I feel very, very strongly about. Yeah, I've I've watched. Um, I've been by the bedside of a couple of people as they've died, and one was cancer, one was heart complications. But it was my granddad, and he was in his seventies. And we we ended up sitting by the dead, just by the bed every day, just hoping that he could go for him and you know for everybody around him. And I think that I can't imagine that anybody who hasn't been in that situation with somebody couldn't look at this bill and see the um, the cruelty of not supporting. It, I suppose I think it's a like you said, particularly when you have young children, I think your article was was particularly um, enlightening for people. I see, you know, the response to it was was amazing online, and I just think that I I think that everybody should read that. Uh, just as you were talking there as well, I think everybody it, it reminded me of your book. But um, Vicky has a book called Overcoming, and she mentioned her her car crash there. And uh, I think it's easy sometimes to to look at Vicky and think that she was presented with this situation around cervical check, and you know. The, this bravery came out of her in that moment but when you read her book you realise that Vicky has been this way since she was a child and she's been always kind of challenging the status quo and she's always been opinionated and fighting for what's right and um, yeah I think I just wanted to put that in there and ask everybody to go read it because it's an incredible book and I knew that you had already been exposed to this stuff well before your own situation as well and I think that that's sometimes some of us need a little bit longer or I mean need to have experienced these things ourselves before we can actually have any idea about why they're so important um, Gino, some of the some of the fears around this, um, and some of the kind of alternative arguments that are being put forward, um, aren't really valid. I don't think to this bill. I mean, some of the fears are understandable if you don't understand what the bill is about. But could you address some of those? So some, you know, some of the things I've heard people saying are, oh well, this is people aren't going to have choice. People, vulnerable people, are going to be put into this situation against their will. Um, you know, people with disabilities are going to be accessing this bill. Like, just there's a lot of misinformation around there. Do you want to maybe yeah. Um, address yeah. that? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, some of the commentary, I mean, it has been kind of marginal, has been really pretty horrible, I have to say. I mean, I just think conflating the issue around suicide is just. It's beyond irresponsible. Or just, I just find it really distasteful that somebody could do that. And other commentary have said um, that it's uh, an alternative palliative care. It's not by any means. Uh, and all the evidence where voluntary assisted uh, dying has been legislated for, none of this has um, come true in all jurisdictions. Um, and there is concerns, and you know, there are legitimate concerns around, you know. Are people vulnerable, you know, around groups that could be uh, vulnerable to a situation where this is legislative? Or again, there's no evidence that has ever happened. The safeguards, uh, the restrictions, there's oversight in relation to somebody that makes that choice. And I always believe, I always trust in that person making that choice, you know, uh, extremely profound uh, choice uh, that they make. It's a conversant, they're fully conversant, uh, they're fully compensated. 
um, and they make that decision uh, without duress. And obviously, that has to, that's the cornerstone of this legislation. It can't, you know, it can't be a kind of a third party uh, being involved. And, you know, I can't think of anything more profound to make that decision uh, than any other decision that you'll make in your life. Uh, it's not an easy decision, uh, but people do make that decision. And they should be allowed to do it legally and medically and not have to, um, in some cases, very, very rare, having to uh, leave the state. So uh, they're, they're, like, the, the bill itself, is, it's not perfect by any means. It can be amended. Um, it can be, certain things can be added um, and subtracted. So the bill, as I said, I think it's a very, very good bill. Um, it is, uh, as I said, there is oversight, there's regulation, there's a conscientious um, clause to anybody that's in the medical profession, you know, they don't have to take part. So that's, I think, that kind of covers all the bases. Uh, in the situations around disabilities, I mean, air bill, somebody could not access this legislation because of their disability, nor of advanced age or of any sort of mental illness. Just, it's just, it, it can't happen under this legislation. This legislation is for those that have a terminal illness progressive uh, that cannot be treated by um, further treatment and is, is coming to the end of their life. And they want to, um, I suppose, on their terms, want to end and with their friends, their family and kind of in the setting that they want to kind of choose. As I said, this would be under very rare circumstances it would happen. And it's not an alternative to palliative care. And where it has been legislated for, it can, it can be complementary to palliative and hospice care. And that's, you know, that can be done. Um, and particularly around Oregon, the state of Oregon, where this has happened, where there was fears uh, around when it was introduced in 1997, but none of that has materialized. And like, if you look at other debates that have happened in the state, particularly around divorce, particularly around the woman's right to choose, um, marriage equality, all the fears and all the scaremongering that you know certain individuals and kind of groups have you know stipulated, none of that has come true. None of it, you know. So I always kind of it's evidence based. Uh, we see what's happened, you know, in other kind of jurisdictions. Uh, of course, these are very very complex issues, very complex issues, and you have to kind of you know you have to encompass you know the civic side the medical side, the political side, um, and the patient side, because the most important voice in all this debate is the patient, is that person that's in that situation. Other than, I mean, most people have opinions on this, and you know, that should all be taken into account, but the most important opinion is that person that's in that situation. Who am I to say to that person, say, well, look, you have to go through all that pain, you know? I've no right whatsoever, absolutely right. That person, that situation should have a choice. And that's all we're saying. They should have a choice that would be done in extremely rare circumstances. Um, they should have a choice uh, to, you know, have a peaceful end to their life. But in order to do that, you have to change the law um, to do that. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, I think one of the points you made there about being evidence-based as well is really important because one of the arguments I've seen, I, first of all, I don't think we should ever be making laws around any kind of slippery slope arguments because, I mean, personally, I believe 
everybody should have the choice. But again, on a legislative basis, you know, you, you, you have to regulate for one thing. You can't regulate for the what ifs and the view, you know, it, it just doesn't make any sense. But in terms of evidence, I've seen some of the evidence abroad that has said some in America, there's been, you know, not even a huge increase, but an increase, you know, when um, legislation was brought in or legislation was relaxed or made more progressive. But when I read that, I see, well, that's more people who didn't have to experience that pain. And that's more, pe- you know, I think how we how we look at the evidence and how we look at the statistics is really important because it's about yeah. what you think of the issue and the ch- overall. And, you know, it's such an unnecessary um, way the law is, is, is phrased. Dave, you wanted to just... Yeah. I'm oh, sorry, yeah, did you know? No, just just clear. Just when something becomes, when something comes available, you know, then people will use it. When yeah. it's not kind of like all of a sudden, thousands of people use like a, something that becomes available that was illegal. Uh, as I said, this would be very rare that this actually would be kind of uh, it would happen. But when I say, when something comes available, you know, because the law has changed uh, and it's available medically. Then people will avail of it, you know. Uh, that's, you know, that's a trend that, in different, all sorts of different kind of uh, aspects to, you know, when the law has changed, people will avail of it. Again, yeah. it's not kind of floodgates by any means. When I mean, that them arguments, I, I really, I believe actually, them arguments that were, you know, said by certain TDs. And I, I'm of the opinion that, you know, let them, let. I mean. I can't control what they say, right? And if they want to speak that kind of language and terminology, let them do it. Obviously, I will, um, you know, defend my position. Uh, but I think most people, you know, listen to that stuff and they really, you know, I, I really just think they, they, they wouldn't be, it's not that they're concerned, but, that, but they, look at, they look at this rationally and they look at all the kind of issues that are kind of, that can be debated. And I think people, don't really fall for that scam you know. Yeah. Dave, you wanted to, to speak on that? Yeah, just, um, it's more, uh, I want to throw um, the, the question directly to, to both of you, to Gino and to Vicky. Just, uh, I think it's a really, first of all, I think it's a really important debate. It's a very uncomfortable debate. I'm sitting here, I'm, I'm feeling uncomfortable myself even thinking about this. And it's, for everybody, what it's going to do is bring it back to a time when they spent you know, yeah. with somebody who was who was passing, and 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 it was really difficult and uncomfortable. But um, there, in doing research for this, I went onto the HSE website and saw that they have arguments against assisted suicide, a whole section there, and it gives it a breakdown the religious argument. So um, it says these practices can never be justified for religious reasons. For example, many people know uh, believe that only God has the right to end human life. Then there's the slippery slope argument. This is based on the concern that legalizing euthanasia could lead to significant unintended changes in our healthcare system and society at large that we could would later come to regret. The medical ethics argument, asking doctors, nurses, or any other health professionals to carry out acts of euthanasia or assist in a suicide would be a violation of fundamental medical ethics. And finally, they say uh, the alternative argument, there is no reason a person should suffer either mentally or physically as there are effective end-of-life treatments available. So euthanasia is not a valid treatment option, but instead represents a failure on the part of the doctor involved in a person's care, which, look, I think the, 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 the hint on this bill is in the name, uh, dying with dignity. I don't think we need to really get too much into it. But on the flip side, when you're having these debates, 
you're going to have people putting the, you know, people for the right reasons putting some of those arguments to you. And Mick Clifford um, did an interview with Des O'Neill, a consultant geriatrician, a couple of weeks ago on a podcast. And he believes that such a move, you know, this bill, passing this bill would devalue life and particularly the living to be done in the latter stages of life. He said, prejudice against age and prejudice against dementia remain the last acceptable bastions of prejudice. Um, and then this is the bit I want you to address. He said, this will result in devaluing life and ultimately lead to pressure being applied in some instances to people who are made to feel they are a burden. Do you think there's any value or credibility in some of those arguments? Um, can I ask you, Vicky, first, if, if you'd like to address any of that? Yeah, I would. I'll tell you what I'd like to address is what struck me most um, about what you read out there from the HSC statement is uh, where's the patient in all of this? They mention uh, the, the the doctors and society. but And this is one thing that really bothers me. I went up uh, against uh, a consultant, a geriatrician there a couple of weeks ago on radio and um, you know, he was talking about the position of uh, palliative care um, and the RCPI on, on assisted dying. And obviously they're against it no more than the HSE. But, you know, I asked him one basic question and I said, what about the patient? And he said, well, what do you mean? I said, when did you consult patients about your position in order to come to the position paper that you've produced? And he said, oh, we, you know, he was totally taken aback. And he said, no, we just consulted our members. And I said, well, there's my point. I said, the patient is lost in this voice. And that's why I'm speaking out about this, David, because I know some people, like you said, are very uncomfortable talking about dying or uncomfortable having this conversation with members of their family. I mean, even for me, my family find it very difficult to hear me talking about this and they don't want to often have conversations, you know, and they shut me down sometimes and it really pisses me off because I say to them, it's easy for you to sit there and say, oh, you know, don't talk, don't be morbid, don't talk about that, Vicky. you know, she have loads of time left, you know, there might be a cure, and I understand where they're coming from, you know, they're hoping that the day is not going to come, but the day is going to come, David, and I'm very much aware of that fact, and I'm trying to get them ready for it, so, you know, as a society, we need to be able to have these conversations about dying, because it's no point waiting until the person dies, and then, you know, kind of figure out what they actually wanted, you know, and, the, the, you know, this, this, this argument that's put forward constantly by doctors, and our politicians, and and, you know, the, the religious part of society uh, about this not being um, the right thing to do. But they never ask patients in my condition or somebody who's living with, you know, a huge amount of pain, you know, what they want. And people often feel put down and that they can't talk about these things. You know, I mean, I don't want to die, David. That's the reality. You know, I don't want to die. But I don't have an option in this. I, you know, I am going to die. You know, I'm not choosing between living and dying. And this is the whole point about this bill. I just want to plan my death when it comes so that when the time comes that my children um, are not going to watch me dying in pain, are not going to hear that horrible death rattle. Um, and that's another thing, you know, that nobody kind of um, talks about. Because when people go through it with a family member who dies, you know, you're so traumatized by it that by the time they die, you're in such grief. You can't talk about these things afterwards because, as you said, it brings up so many horrible memories for people. So that's why I'm talking about it now. You know, the death rattle is an, an event that will happen. Um, and, you know, this consultant I had the 
interview with last week said, you know, it's not distressing for the patient. I said, that's not the point. I said, I'll be on my way out anyway. I said, but it is distressing for family members. I said, and I have two young children. And, you know, that's one of the things that people who have come on to me and contacted me, you know, since I started campaigning about this, have said that, you know, it's one of the things they remember very clearly and they have vivid, you know, memories of that sound of dying. And, you know, that can all be done away with by, you know, allowing somebody to die peacefully. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, I'm going to die. I don't want to die in pain. Surely, you know, from a doctor's point of view, I understand they have ethical issues and they've taken oaths and all of that. But I think if they were a little bit more open to kind of how the patient feels um, and how this would actually make it easier on the patient and the patient's family, that in time they might actually get to, you know, accept this is a better way uh, for people in my condition. And I like, I, to be honest, I'm so sick of people like you having to do this, Vicky, you know, people who are already dealing with a difficult enough situation, having to spend their time convincing the rest of us that you deserve that dignity and that you deserve the choice, you know, within your own life. And I think we, we, I think we are progressing in conversations and the ability to have conversations, but we're not past that, that space of, you know, expecting people to come out and, and showing us how painful this stuff is before we, we actually take notice. Just as well, when you mentioned there, the doctor saying that it's not, um, I can't remember the word, but it's not, you know, difficult for the person going through it. I know it's the palliative care involved in, say, cancer is different to, but my granddad um, had chronic heart failure. And I remember when the palliative care team came in and they told us it might be 24, 48 hours. And it was two weeks later. And he he was just had the strength of an ox, you know, no matter, we, we kept it, we get a call, it's, you know, because after a week or so, everybody wasn't in the hospital 24-7 and we get a call and we'd all go down and and then, you know, he'd just be still there at that night. And we, But I remember in those two weeks, sitting, I slept at his bedside one night and he he was a very religious man and he spent his, all he did all his life was work and go to church and prayer meetings. So, you know, he was just, he was a really good man. And I remember him saying to me, why is this happening to me? What, you know, what did I do? I, but, and he didn't mean, why was he dying? You know, that's not what he meant. Like the pain that he was going through, you know, and I, it was just like, he wanted, you know, I'm not a religious person, but he wanted to be taken. He wanted to just go. And I just, uh, yeah, I just think that there's, there's absolutely no benefit to anybody in that situation. Like he wasn't coming back. He wasn't going to, his heart wasn't going to heal. And, um, and I think every, either we trust doctors, you know, this is a bill that is about the patient and the doctor. We, we trust a person to make that choice and we trust a doctor to know when that time is as well. Um, yeah, so I, I just want to say thanks for, for constantly being that voice and constantly sharing your experience with us because you shouldn't have to, but I think it really does. It changes the world and it changes people's opinions and minds. Um, can I, maybe I was thinking of just looking at the actual situation we're in now with the bill <clears throat> so you know you put the bill forward it was debated last week but it's actually going to go yeah. for a vote in the doll on wednesday yeah. um wednesday, yeah. and do you want to maybe give us a little bit of the landscape in terms of where the different parties are at you know whether we have a conscience you know, and what what we need you know we're going to put this out today we're asking people to support you on this and we're asking people to get involved and try to convince their reps so you can you tell us kind of where we're at and what we need to do yeah uh well first of all we've called for a vote of conscience so that's a free vote uh, in relation to any party that hasn't formulated a position in relation to this issue this issue so what 
uh, th that seems to be the three government parties. So it looks like they will grant uh, free vote. So in kind of what 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 will happen on Wednesday, there will be a vote on the government amendment. And the government amendment states that an all-party joint directors committee should be set up. It will have a framework of one year. They will invite um, witnesses from from a broad spectrum um, in relation to this issue, and then a report, you know, will be issued after one year. Um, and there is a stipulation in the, the amendment that my the bill that I put forward would be read again. Uh, again, I take that with a pinch of salt. So that's that's the amendment that the government have. Um, yeah, go ahead. And just so just to be clear to people listening on that, if your bill passes without the amendment, all of that like pre that scrutiny can all be done in a much quicker time frame. Like those conversations yeah. will be had. Yeah. That, so yeah, that's that's the second option is uh, to vote directly on air bill. So what if just if air bill was uh, voted by a majority of TDs to go to pre legislative scrutiny, the same thing would happen. Time frame probably I say you're talking about it would go to one of the relevant committees, uh, particular probably justice or health. Um, I went through this process before with the medical canvas bill, so they have witnesses in, kind of very thorough, and then a report is issued. It gives direction. The, the report then kind of gives direction to the doll itself and what uh, direction you know the doll should take. Um, so that's the second option or the third option, which I don't see happening, is that both the amendment and the bill are rejected. I don't see that happening um, on Wednesday. So it's important uh, that, in their opinion, that the bill goes to pre-legislative scrutiny, rather than delaying, you know, to this all-party Iraqis committee uh, for another year, you know. It, 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 like, the bill has to be scrutinized and so forth, and the issues have to be kind of, well, kind of thought out. Um, so at the moment, Sinn Féin, Sock Dems, Labour, us and I think a number of independents have said that they will vote for the bill. Some other TDs of kind of the, the rural independents are very voting against the amendment for obviously different reasons and obviously a vote against their bill. Um, my instinct that says that will be very very tight, very very tight. And if a free vote is given, and some of them uh, TDs of the three government parties vote against the amendment, well then it could be well very very tight. Very very tight. Come Wednesday, so I think if if, if people are listening, is that you know they get onto um, the TDs, particularly of Finnegall, Finnfall, and the Greens, and say, look, it's important that this bill goes to pre-legislative scrutiny. Do, do you know what really pisses me off about this is that they these TDs who are voting no to this or opposing this are voting. Not to reject the bill, but to stop the actual discussion and debate yeah, yeah. about the bill. That that's what annoys me because there's between eight and ten stages in the doll, depending on what way you look at it, right? So it's still got, this is only stage two. So I mean, this is to get you still has to go to the Shannon, this is to go to those joint directors committees, it's to go to a whole range of things that take years. So, I mean, I know this from the banded hours, the, the secure hours um, employment miscellaneous provisions act, which took four years to progress through the through the doll, and obviously there's the, a range of other bills that are, are sitting there that we've been lobbying on, and they take forever. 
but it's at least we're able to have the debate and the discussion. Now, I have problems with the last government in that they attached money messages to every bill that was going through, and my, my fear would be that they figure some way of attaching a money message to this at the end anyway, because they did it on the, 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 some of the bills that I've seen that had no costs attached to the state. But anyway, the important thing to remember is that people are going to vote against having this debate, not vote against the bill. They're going to vote against being able to have a political discussion, a mature discussion about this stuff to try and kibosh uh, democracy in some sort of a way. And, and I think that's why it's important that anyone listening to this does contact their local TD and say, no, we want this debate had. It's important because we are supposed to live in a republic. And I'm brought back to five years ago. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago on, on the podcast about this bill. But when I was in Athens, I was speaking at an event over there with Bernadette McAlisky, and she gave this brilliant discussion about what it means to be a, a Republican, to live in a republic, where we take collective decisions and collective actions but we always respect each other's autonomy to make our own decisions for ourselves. And what they're trying to do is block people having that autonomy and the ability to make decisions for themselves. It's, it's, it's insulting and it's disgusting, in my opinion. And I didn't expect to get into this sort of a, a debate on it. But it just, when you hear that stuff about, you know, people are going to try and block the debate, it just really bugs me. So just wanted to say that. And I just, I agree. Vicky, do you want to go ahead? No, I agree with you, David. <laughs> totally agree with you. Um, I, I was enraged, to be honest, when I heard about the government um, attaching an amendment to the bill um, because I just thought, Jesus Christ, uh, and exactly, I thought exactly what you've just said. They just don't want people to have this debate. You know, it, it's ridiculous. We're grown-ups here. And I respect other people's wishes and other people's decisions. This is the whole point. Like, I understand that people would have huge reservations about this or people with a very strong religious belief. I come from a very religious uh, family myself. My mother's uh, mother was the parish priest's um, sacristan and housekeeper. She was extremely religious. You know, most of my mother's family are quite religious and I would respect that they would not choose this for themselves. And that's fine. I totally respect that. Exactly what you're saying, David. I understand that there are people who would never choose this route for themselves and that's fine. But don't try and force that and your religious beliefs, which are not mine, on me. You know, allow me to ha make that choice for myself. And it's a bit like this um, pushing this bill down the road. You know, they don't want to allow people ha to have the choice to debate this. They just want to push it down the road because it's too uncomfortable for them to, to, to do. And for lots of reasons, I, you know, I do think a lot of it is, you know, um, Politicians, sorry now, Gino, but politicians worried about losing votes, losing, you know, because, you know, we're still a very conservative country, particularly, you know, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, you know, most of their voters are, are quite conservative. Um, and I, and I, I respect that. But at the same time, within their own constituents, you know, there are people who will vote for this. So they can't just blanket, um, you know, blanket ban, you know, a, a, a debate about this um, for another 12 months. And, and another thing, you know, and another reason I think they're pushing this down the road is because of COVID. You know, COVID has been very convenient, I think, for a lot of uh, issues that have been coming up over the last number of uh, months. And this is just another one of them. But, you know, we all have to die. This is not a debate that we need to push down the road, you know, people are dying now and want to be able to avail of this bill so you know allow people to have the debate so if there's people out there listening please contact your tds your local tds and ask them to vote for the bill not to vote for the government amendment you know this is what it will make a difference and you never know when this issue is going to come to your door and i suppose most importantly if you're contacting tds make sure it's fianna fall fianna gale 
Greens and with those kind of independents that are in with the government because the the left TDs, you know, are supporting it already. So hammer the hammer the government TDs and some of those independents if you can. And I think what you just said there as well, Vicky, like pushing it down the road. We've had campaigners before, like Mary Fleming, and you know some some people who gave the last years of their life campaigning on this issue, and it was pushed down the road for them. And I think people need to remember that the most vocal people on this don't have the time to push it down the road. Um, so exactly and to be honest Claire you know I mean it's terrible that I have to say this but like I don't think this bill will be in time for me it's as simple as that that's the reality because as David said a lot of these things take years to get through um, and I'm I'm totally aware of that fact yet I'm still campaigning for this because I would not like to see somebody else not be able to avail of this so you know it may not be in time for me but I certainly hope it'll be in time for other people. And I think I think I speak for everybody here again to just thank you for that, Vicky, because this isn't the first time you've you've used your time to to benefit other people. You know, even with Cerebral Check after you had already been through the worst of it, you you gave so much of your time to prevent anybody else going through it. Um I think that I think we've covered everything today. Um thanks so much, you know, to both to Gino and to Vicky. And I just really hope anybody listening to this, to listen to Vicky particularly, um we can't understand this unless we're in this situation. And I think the most important thing, like Gina said, and like Vicky has said, is to listen to the people that are already going through it. And that, that, that think about it day in, day out, because they're the ones that actually understand what they're facing. We don't think about it. It's easier for us not to think about it unless we've, um, unless we're in that situation. But I think there's very few of us who haven't seen somebody experience it. So I think I'd like to ask everybody just, you know, dig deep into that humanity within yourself, listen to the people that are speaking now, contact your TDs, do what they're asking us to do and let's get a bit of people power around this. Gino, do you want to get a final word in there? Last thing, there's a referendum in New Zealand in two weeks' time, less than two weeks' time, uh, along with the general election in relation to voluntary assisted dying. And this process has been going on for a considerable amount of time. Um, and all indications that two thirds of the majority of the, the population in New Zealand will vote for the referendum for voluntary assisted dying. And they've had a, a long, 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 long debate about this. Uh, but all indications say that, you know, that will, this will be passed. So uh, it's just something to look out for. Yeah, thanks for that. I mean, maybe people could go and look up some of those conversations and see some of the work that's being done yeah. um, to inform themselves. If you don't feel like you're informed, if listening to people like Vicky isn't, you know, informing enough, I can't imagine what else you need to hear, but there's plenty of information out there. But the vote is Wednesday, the vote is tomorrow. So please, uh, you know, use your voice, contact your TDs, let, let your opinion be known because those TDs are there to represent you. And like Dave and Gino and Vicky all said, the vote is just to have a conversation around this. It's just to push it further into that legislative process. Don't kick it down the road. Okay, so thanks again for listening. This has been the week at work. I want to say a huge thank you to Gino Kelly. Huge thank you to Vicky Phelan and I suppose Dave Gibney as well, as always. Thanks and goodbye. Thanks, thanks very much. Thanks for having us on, David and Claire. Thank you. Thank you.